Praise the Lord. I hope that you are so familiar with Hebrews that when you open your Bible, it just flops open to that spot because that's how mine works now. In fact, the pages look like they're getting a little loose in the book of Hebrews in this particular Bible. So I hope you can turn in your Bible or on your phone or your laptop or whatever else you're using um, so that we can continue on in our study. We're almost done, but we have to persevere to the end. We're almost finished. We're in Hebrews uh, chapter 12. There's only 13 chapters, and we're, we're going to look at verses uh, 5 through 13 this morning. I wanted to remind you of something. Last week, those of you who were with us or those of you who joined us online, um, at the end of the service, we acted on something. We were talking about how sometimes our unwillingness to forgive others because of the way that they've hurt us or the way that they've used us um, becomes something that Satan can use. It gives him kind of permission when we are unforgiving. And that permission then needs to be uh, ripped up. The permission slip that we gave him needs to be ripped up uh, so that we will forgive and that we will walk in the grace of God towards others, uh, even if they don't deserve it in our minds. Uh, we do it because God asked us to. And so part of our learning to run with perseverance is throwing off the things that entangle us. And we know that unforgiveness and bitterness is one of those things that entangles our lives and entangles our relationships. It causes damage and it keeps us from being able to run freely. So we, we took the opportunity to just visually do something about that. It's not that simple, right? Simple to rip up that piece of paper and put it in this jar. And we did that symbolically, right, to represent that we will follow God's command and we will forgive one another. And we will offer mercy and grace just as we've been offered mercy and grace. But then we got to walk it out or run it out, right? We got to do it. So it's not like because you ripped up a piece of paper, it was done, right? In fact, some of you contacted me this week and said, I have a meeting with someone who I've been holding unforgiveness towards. Please pray for me so that the meeting can go well. And I pray that it did. But even if it didn't go well, you were obedient. You ran the race. Because things don't always go well or according to our plan, right? But when you are obedient, the blessing of God is released on you. You're freed from the bitterness, the resentment, the hurt. Maybe it still hurts your emotions a little bit, but you are free in Christ to walk in the wholeness that he has, got, that he has gone to the cross for you to get. So I hope you understand it wasn't as simple as ripping up a piece of paper. It's a daily race. It's something you have to get up and put your sneakers on and go out there and run. Even if it's 30 degrees or 20 degrees, you still got to keep moving because God has you on a journey with him through your life. And he wants you to run with perseverance. He doesn't want you to give up. So even if it's difficult, even when it gets rough, we are to encourage one another. That's why our theme verse talks about encouraging one another. We're to, we're to grow in the Lord together so that we can continue to grow in these areas. So some of the things that this passage talks about, um, I, I just want to read through again because we need to be reminded um, so I'm going to start in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, just so we have a little bit of a reminder. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
who has, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. So this whole book of Hebrews is written to a group of people who are weary, who are tired, who are persecuted, and who are, are thinking of giving up this walk with God, with Christ, and going back to their Old Testament roots, their Old Testament religion, their, their Old Testament Judaism. And so this pastor is inspired by the Spirit to encourage them, don't give up, hold on, endure, be patient, Hold on to your, your vision of Jesus as he is high and lifted up. So we have throughout this chapter these different guidelines for our race, right? So I put them, put them here in four, four guidelines that we could gather from this passage this morning. Number one is we need to throw off our sin, right? We need to n- not let it entangle us, not be all wrapped around us so that we can't fully run or get, get, get the run going, right? We need to be willing to do that. And there's some sins that are mentioned here specifically, but we don't need to go over those. We all know what sin is. It's when we refuse to glorify God with our lives and we choose to turn inward and glorify ourselves or we choose to to go some other direction other than the direction that Jesus is running. So we run after him. He's our example. He's the one who ran before us. He's our forerunner. Um, and so we can run off. We fix our eyes on him while we do that. Verse 2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, we, weren't, we wouldn't be told to fix our eyes on something if our eyes weren't able to go elsewhere. If our eyes weren't able to be distracted, we wouldn't have to have that instruction. We are easily distracted. There's lots of things in life that can get in, in front of our view, right? And block us from seeing Jesus in the midst of our life. And so we're to fix our eyes on him. We're to worship him. We're to sit with him, just as Mary did. Sit with him. Listen to him. Read his word. Get to know him. As we do that, we are able to run with perseverance and not give up. So I'm going to continue here in verse 4 this morning. In your struggle against sin, you have not resist, yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons and daughters. You've forgotten something. So he's going to remind us. What he reminds us of is a proverb, a passage from Proverbs um, that, that he quotes here. Now, I want to read the whole passage because it happens to be in one of my favorite passages in Scripture, which is Proverbs chapter 3. And we'll just start in, in probably my favorite, favorite part of that passage, which is verse 5. The verses that he's quoted here in Hebrews are verses 11, 10 and 11, I think, or 11 and 12. But let's start in verse 5 because we need to hear it in its context. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. 
Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will be brimming over with new wine. This is the verse 11, the passage that the pastor in Hebrews is now quoting. My sons and daughters, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent here in, in Hebrews, in the Greek, it had to be interpreted, do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Could you say that with me? The Lord disciplines those he loves. That brings up certain feelings in us. And he punishes everyone he accepts as his sons. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his sons and daughters. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everybody undergoes some discipline, he says, then you are an illegitimate child. And you're not true sons and daughters. Moreover, We have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it, maybe. (laughs) How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? You see, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. See, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and of peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. We're healed through the discipline of the Lord. He changes us. He transforms us. He makes us into the image of Christ. So, number four is let's not misunderstand God in this. I think there is lots of room for misunderstanding in our modern minds, in the way in which we use language, words like discipline, punishment. Those words bring up all kinds of different ideas, different experiences, some personal Some of us have not been disciplined well. We have been hurt and abused. So all of these things are in the room. So what I want to do is ask the Holy Spirit to come and teach. Regardless of where you're at, he knows. And he wants to bring you closer to God's heart of love for his children. He does not want this to cause you to shrink away to be fearful because these words sound harsh. They sound difficult to our ears. So let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you that we can be your children through Jesus Christ. I thank you for these, your children, who are here this morning listening. And I pray that they hear the voice of your spirit drawing them to yourself. Through your love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
So I want to talk a little bit about this fatherly discipline, heavenly fatherly discipline. Webster's Dictionary defines discipline as training that corrects. Now, now remember that. Training that corrects. It molds and it perfects. That's in, the, in one of the, 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 the definitions. Is that it's a type of training that corrects things that are wrong. It molds or shapes the person and then it perfects them. That's what Christ is doing in our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is, is to, to change us. We all know we were sinners saved by grace. But we don't want to stay there. We know that God is at work transforming us and shaping us. And we don't like to use words like discipline when we talk about it, but the Bible does. And so we gotta, we got to let our ears be adjusted and our minds be adjusted to line up with God's word. Because discipline from God is not punishment from God. Let me say that again. Discipline from God is training that corrects. It shapes you. It perfects you. It's not punishment. In fact, let me clarify this. We all deserve punishment because we've all sinned and the wages of sin is death. But... As believers in Jesus Christ, when you place your faith in Christ, you are acknowledging that he took your punishment for you. He took it to the cross for you. So God is not punishing you or me. I hear these words sometimes. Sometimes we see it in, in movies or whatever, but I hear it in real life sometimes. I think God's punishing me. And I'm like, well, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he's done punishing you. Jesus took your punishment. He took it on the cross. That's why we jump up and down and sing songs because we're so grateful that for his grace and mercy and love that the punishment that we do deserve because we are sinners who have fallen short of God's grace, of, of God's glory, we, we are recipients of such a huge gift, that gift being forgiveness, that we don't have to fear punishment. In fact, scripture says, perfect love casts out all fear. Well, God is the only perfect love that I know of. I mean, my wife's pretty good, but perfect, not so perfect. Me, far from it, right? Perfect love, though, casts out all fear. Jesus has taken our punishment. Let's just let that sink in. So when you look at the situations in your life, the difficulties... The persecutions, the trials, the tribulations. You're not somehow believing a lie that Jesus' death didn't quite cover that one. Jesus' blood covers it all. That is the glory of God. That is the best news there is. So what is this discipline then? If God is not punishing us, he is disciplining us. He is changing us. He is transforming us. He is making us new through the difficulties in life, through the trials, through the testings, through the difficulties. He is able to take something that was intended for evil and bring good out of it. You. You perfected. You changed. You no longer controlled by sin or by Satan. You made new again for the glory of God. I got, I got goosebumps from that stuff. 
I want you to grab that. I want you to get it. I want you to hold on to it. I don't want you to let go of that. He took the punishment for our sins. He gave up his life on the cross to forgive us. Christ's suffering paid for all of our sins. Praise the Lord. The discipline then in this passage cannot be God's judgment or punishment for sin. So do not interpret these words that way. He is wanting to teach us how he is training us. These persecutions, these trials, these sufferings that these believers are going through, and they are. We've heard about them throughout this entire sermon that was preached to them in Hebrews. They're going through difficult times, and it seems as though God is prophetically letting them be prepared for more difficult times ahead for the early church and its great persecution. These persecutions, then, are to serve these believers and to change these believers and to transform these believers so that they can serve and worship Jesus all the more, even if it's through difficulty, even if it's through trial. Why does the world persecute believers? Because Satan hates believers. (laughs) Because Satan hated the Son of God. So so we're, we're in this spiritual battle which makes the race hard, makes the race difficult. So I want you to understand the goal of the race, the finish line of the race, is the heavenly city that was mentioned back in the last chapter. When Abraham and the other patriarchs of the faith, when they they went through their times of waiting or their times of difficulty, they had in view a long way out, but they believed the prophets and they believed the promises of God that there was a home for them, a home where there is no sin, no sadness, no disease, no brokenness, no tears. They kept their eyes on the prize the prize is really seeing Jesus, right? In, 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 verse, in, in chapter 12, verse, verse 14, make every effort, right, to live at peace with all men. This is what we looked at last week, and to be holy, because without holiness, no one can, no one can see God. We want to see Jesus. We want to see the Lord. When we see him, Scripture says, we shall be like him, completely transformed by his grace and his mercy and his love. So the pastor has focused his words here on a proverb that they're familiar with because these are good Hebrew students. They're familiar with the proverb, which we now call Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. And this kind of suffering is not new to them as a people. The kind of suffering which comes from being loyal to God's promises and his fulfillment through, through Christ Jesus. These believers have been brought into the fullness of God's promise in Jesus Christ. And their religious system rejected them just as it rejected Christ and crucified him. They, they, they were not happy with this new way that Jesus opened up. And so they received persecution for that. So the pastor is using this passage in reference to non-punitive suffering is is the term. Persecution because of their devotion to Christ. Persecution not because of a punishment that they deserve for sin. It's, it's, It's that simple. 
because it's within the context of Hebrews. If we rip it from its context and try to understand it, we don't understand. But if you have been following through all these months as we've read through these words, we know that this pastor is trying to encourage his people, don't give up. Even when you're persecuted. Even when people treat you poorly. Now, here's what he does for them. And here's what I want to do for you by the power of God's word. He reminds them whose they are. And then he reminds them why they suffer, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just take a moment to explain this relationship. We have this relationship with the father, which, which describes both the present the present situation that we're here, but we're in, but also our ultimate destiny. God is our Father, and the Son of God calls us His brothers and sisters. If you go back to Hebrews chapter two, we can just flip there. If you're in a Bible, Hebrews chapter two, love this. If you remember this, Hebrews chapter two, verse eleven. Both the one who makes men holy, that is Christ. And those who are made holy are in the same family. So Christ and those of us who are made holy are in the same family. And here's this great line. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed of us. Sometimes we're ashamed of us. We're ashamed of how how short we have have, uh, have reached to become more like Jesus. But he is not ashamed of us. He knows the finished product. And so we are his brothers and sisters. I want you to hear his words. So that's what the preacher gives. But listen to his words. This is the words of Jesus from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, he's talking to his disciples, keep in mind that it hated me first. If the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, then it would love you as its very own. But as it is, now that you follow me, we can imply, you do not belong to this world. I have chosen you out of this world. Do you know that? Do you know that you are chosen? You are beloved God looked and saw you and chose you for his very own. And then he goes on to say at the end of verse 19, and that is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, then they will persecute you also. You could go on to read the rest of that passage yourself in John 15, but we've got to remember that. This world is not heaven. Heaven is heaven, and this is this world, right? We need to keep these things separate because sometimes in our theology and sometimes in our practice of our beliefs, we, we want to mesh the two, and that's only because we can't wait to get there, believe me. I'd love to mesh the two as well. I'd love to have all of that now. We're getting there. Day by day, we're getting closer and closer and closer, praise the Lord. Because Jesus is coming back for us, and we will be ready. 
We will go with him. We will live forever in that environment that we were actually created to live in. The reason why sin and hardships and difficulties don't feel good is because we weren't designed for them. We were designed to live in wholeness with God and with one another. And all the brokenness of sin is sharp and sticky and hurts. And we want it gone. And God is in action right now working us towards that. But it's a race and we have to run it with perseverance. So the endurance and the perseverance that we need, this discipline comes from a loving heart of a heavenly father because he's treating us as his very own sons and daughters. Instead of being discouraged by it, we should be strengthened by it. We should allow it to strengthen us. In our, in our inner man, in inner woman, it, where, where the spirit resides, because it is essential that we grow in our relationship. These are signs that we're growing. Actually, when we're persecuted by this world, it's actually a sign that we're doing the right thing for Jesus. Because they're persecuting us because of Christ in us. So they must be seeing something of Christ in us that they don't like because it convicts them of their sin. Right? It makes them feel uncomfortable. Those of you who are saved later in life, you weren't, you know, three years old like some of us, but those of you who were saved later in life when, when you lived in the world and you did all your rowdy living and all that crazy stuff, when the Lord came and rescued you from that, and cleansed you and washed you and you still lived in that neighborhood or on that college campus or with that family what happened? because you changed if you were truly saved by God you begin the change process you might have not you weren't perfect all at once but you were changing you wanted to live for him instead of yourself you wanted to remove some of these sins from your life and, and continue that process throughout life and as you did that people started to say what's with you? You're not like you used to be. I don't like that. It makes me feel like you're judging me. Do any of you remember that? Am I making this up? Yeah, this is for real. This is the real stuff. This is where the persecution happens, right? On the relational level. We're not in a country like a communist country like our brothers and sisters in Belarus. We're not being persecuted by the whole government at this point. They haven't shut down our church and put locks on it and taken over our property. But we are persecuted on a personal level in relationships. All of a sudden, the relationship, you're trying to live your life and they're like, oh, little Miss Holy, you know. Oh, aren't you like such a great and mighty one? You know, you get this stuff and you're like, okay, that's, that's what the hatred sounds like, you know? That's what happens when I walk with God because people who aren't walking with God get uncomfortable that I'm walking with God. I'm not doing or saying anything, but they're picking it up because it's a message that comes through us when Christ is truly working through us. That was extra. It's not even in my notes. Back to the notes. All right, so when he disciplines us as his sons and daughters, first of all, we need to know that he loves us. Otherwise, he wouldn't discipline us. I don't discipline other people's kids. Do you? Like you're in the grocery store and there's some kid who's being naughty. Do you walk up to that kid and say, cut it out. I'm going to give you a spanking. No, you don't because you'll go to jail, right? Or at least to court. You don't discipline someone else's kids because they're not your kids. 
But when your kids are smashing the spaghetti jars on the grocery store, you grab them, you know, and you put them in the cart and you say, listen, Susie, when we get home, you're in trouble, right? You are allowed to discipline within reason. I'm not talking about abuse. Get that out of your heads. But just within reason so that your child doesn't run through the grocery store and smash all the jars in the middle of the aisle. Because someday there'll be a big kid and they'll be doing that and they'll go right to jail themselves, right? Because you can't be smashing other people's property. So we train our children so that they will grow to be responsible adults. We don't just let them do whatever they want. Because actually, wouldn't that be kind of fun? Go down the pickle, the pickle aisle and just start smashing the jars. I would love to do that, but I won't do it because I don't want to go to jail. But it would be super fun, right? So how did I learn that? Through discipline. I probably, when I was a little boy, I probably did something crazy. And my dad hit me on the back of the head, like, because you could do that back then. Hit me on the back of the head and said, cut it out. Go sit in a chair, you know. And then I learned, like, oh, I can't be doing that. So our parents, in their own failed way, their own flawed way, have disciplined us. Hopefully some good has come out of that. Our Heavenly Father, who has no flaws and never fails, disciplines us. Because he's working into our lives the nature of Christ, the love of God, what Jesus would look like today in your life. And he does that through discipline. So we're given these words in Hebrews 11. I'm sorry, Hebrews 12. Listen to these words again from verse 5. My sons and daughters, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Why? Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. So here's, here's a little list of things that we should do when we're disciplined. Don't shrug it off as though it doesn't matter. When the Lord speaks to you and says, please don't do that. Stop treating her that way. Stop thinking that way. And he does this. He does it through his word as we study. He does it by his spirit. When he disciplines you, don't shrug it off. There's a bunch of Christians out there who shrug it off. God doesn't care. God doesn't care. We can do whatever we want. Because grace, grace, God's grace, grace is greater than all my sin. I can just keep sinning. What does the Apostle Paul say to that? He says, absolutely not. In Romans 6, he says, God forbid you should sin all the more because of God's grace. He says, pull it in. Walk in holiness. Walk in discipline. So we're not to make light of the Lord's discipline. If last week when we were ripping these things up, the Lord put something on your heart, you need to call sister so-and-so, you need to write a note, you need to just spend more time with me in prayer, and you didn't do that, he may discipline you for that. He'll bring it around again. He'll bring it around again. you go around that mountain for 40 years, and he'll bring it around again. He'll bring it around again. Because he wants change. He wants to transform us. He wants us to obey. Because when we obey, there's blessing and there's joy. So don't shrug it off. If God tells you to forgive, forgive. If you refuse, if you refuse to forgive, that bitterness will grow up in you. And you say, Why am I so bitter? Why am I so angry? Why am I so this? Well, 
Did you do what the Lord asked you to do? Did you forgive your brother or sister in Christ? Did you let that go and leave it at the cross? So that's one. Or that's A. B. Don't give up. It says in that verse, don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Now, we all had different, I shouldn't say we all. Some of us had kids and our kids were different. So I had different kids, four of them, right? And I have one, I won't say who she is, Mariah. Um, (laughs) If I looked at her, didn't even say a word. When she was little, if I looked at her with a certain look, she went, and she ran to mommy. Right? She's so sensitive to like the the look or the tone of my voice, right? Other children who remain nameless. Um, sometimes I had to like up the ante a little bit. Like, go to your room now. You know, I, like you had to do it. because with my daughter, if I treated her that way, it would crush her. She she, she it would be too heavy, right? The Lord knows each one of us. Here's, here's another little extra, and, and I don't mean to be giving you extras, but the Spirit just wants me to say this. Sometimes we want God to treat everyone exactly the same. Just like my kids would like to all be treated exactly the same. But we're all different, right? We have different temperaments and different personalities. So when you go through tough times... And then you see, you know, brother Bob over here just enjoying life and having the greatest life ever. He's a Christian. You're a Christian. You're like, well, wait a minute, God. Why do I get this kind? And he gets nothing. He's got his own, but you just don't see it. But we all are disciplined because God loves us. This issue of, of God has to do the same thing for everybody or in the same way is just so limiting. It's so like small thinking. God is way, 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 way smarter than that. He knows each one of us. He knows what we need. He knows how to shape us and mold us. And by his word and by his spirit, he'll do that in his timing. If we take his discipline as though it's a hammer from God and we try to use it actually to discipline others, it can do severe damage and cause people to want to give up because sometimes the trials of life seem too much. One example from scripture, the disciples on the Emmaus road, this is the day between, no, the day after the resurrection, the, the disciples were walking, they hadn't heard of it yet. They heard through the women, but then they went and then the tomb was empty. You know the story on Easter, I hope. But it's in Luke chapter 24. And these two men who were disciples were walking away from Jerusalem. And it says that they were, they were like downcast. They were, they were depressed because what they thought about Jesus at that moment didn't seem to be happening. It says in Luke 24, verse 21, you know, we had hoped... We had hoped that Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But now he's gone. His tomb is empty. We saw him die on the cross. We had hoped. We had hoped. Past tense. They lost hope. They weren't still hoping. They weren't saying, we're hoping Jesus is the Messiah. They had hoped he was. See, see the, the, the situation, the circumstance, as far as what they could understand, caused them to lose heart, as this passage says. Don't lose heart. So don't shake it off like it doesn't matter. 
But also, when, when tough times come, don't lose heart. This is part of our job with each other, is to encourage each other to don't give up. Don't give up. The, the, the next thing that we need to do is that we need to understand that God's purpose in all of this is good. We have to understand that. The difficulty is we, we, we struggle with that. We say, well, how can God use something bad and turn it to something good? Well, just look to the cross. Look to the cross. Look to the resurrection. God does it all the time. A seed falls into the ground and dies so that it may grow up and produce a harvest 30 times, 60 times, 100 times more. It, it, it doesn't kind of make sense. It's this little seed and we put it in the ground like a grave and you put it in there and cover it up. Come back six months later and like, wow, pumpkins. You know, where did they come from? Well, remember that seed that you thought died? It's alive because God does that. God has a purpose that is good. It's God's grace. And here's some of what is, is in there, right? So in, in, verse, in verse 10, it says, we will share in his holiness. So when we go through hard times, encourage yourself with these words. We will share in his holiness. We'll join him in that, in that place. We will be more righteous, verse 11 says. We will have peace, verse 11 says. Verse 12 and 13 say there's, there's strength and healing for us when we follow God through these tough times. When we don't give up, but when we also don't just ignore it, shirk it off. So my final point here this morning is that when we go through hard times, and we all do at different phases of life, we were not meant to go through them alone. Did you hear me? Because we are individualists. We like to do things alone. We feel proud when we do things alone. We're embarrassed and so we don't want to tell anybody so we do things alone. But it is not possible to go through the hard parts of life, the trials and the testings alone. Even the disciples Jesus sent out two by two. At least they had one other person who could help them when it was a bad day. Right? We are not to do this alone. Running, since this is the imagery that, 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 that the, the writer, the preacher is using, running this race, running almost looks like something you could do alone. In fact, I was talking to Andrea this morning. She almost went running alone this morning, you know, because she thought she had more time than she did, right? So we think it's something we can do alone. This kind of running, this biblical kind of running is not that. This is the relay. This is the team sport. This is the cross-country team. We run together. We need each other. (laughs) Running is a team sport in the Bible. It's not good for man to be alone. The first thing God said at the beginning of the Bible, it's not good. We got to do this together. As members of Christ's body, we have to cooperate and take responsibility and support one another in this lifelong marathon of faith. Because it's not easy all the time. You know that. But if one or two people are there to encourage you, or three or four or five or six, all of a sudden that heaviness is not so heavy. It's shared. We share this. We do this together. This lifelong marathon is, is encouraged with our encouragement. 
We, 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 we like the great cloud of witnesses here. Uh, or back in chapter 3 when he said, encourage one another daily. Chapter 3, verse 13. Chapter 10, our theme verse for the year, is perfect as our final point. We're going to read this together when we get the slide up there. We need to understand. Do I have a slide for it? I don't have a slide for it. All right, look in your Bibles then. All right, you got to use your Bible then. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. See, this, this idea of encouragement is buried deep in the fabric of this book. We have to do this together. Let's not give up meeting together. Let's encourage one another daily. Let's continue this process. Why do we need all that encouragement? Why do we need to be together? Because we are in this world. We were made to be together for eternity. But in this world, there's a battle going on. There's a race going on. There's difficulties going on. And we can't do it alone. I want to pray together that God would bring his word to us in such a way that it doesn't just leave you as soon as you leave the parking lot. Some of you are in the midst of a difficulty and you haven't shared it with anybody and that's why it feels so heavy. Some of you are in the midst of a difficulty which you have shared with others and they're helping to carry it. It's still heavy. (laughs) It's not like it went away, but you're not alone. The body of Christ is here to represent Christ in each other's lives. Are you here to represent? Are you here to receive? Come on, worship team. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's embarrassing to say what your problems are. But after you've shared them and after others have prayed with you and after others have committed to be with you through that, you'll be a changed person. You'll be shaped and molded a little bit more like Jesus. Jesus came to the world. He had all the power in the universe and beyond at his disposal. He chose to choose 12 disciples initially to come along and help him. He wouldn't do it alone. The one man who could do it alone, Jesus Christ, master of the universe, who could do it all alone, chose not to. So who are we to think that we can live our Christian lives and run this race alone? We can't. We need his help. He's made us members of a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to begin to grasp that and begin to move forward and believe that, live that. Too many of us like our independence. We want to do it alone. We feel better when we're alone, but God created us to be a family. First of all, he's our father who loves us and he knows what's best for us. And then when we are together, we share these things in common. Christ's joy, Christ's life within us, but also some of the suffering that comes with following Christ. Life doesn't always go our way. doesn't always get perfect here on this earth. Father God, thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Thank you that you have given us this word to help us to understand sometimes what life is giving us, 
what's just being thrown at us. We don't always understand it, and we don't want to fall for the lie that it's you doing it. But we know that somehow sovereignly you are allowing it so that it may shape us and change us and help us. So God, in your body, by your spirit, work within us. Help us to understand how to run the race, not as individuals, but as a team. Help us to grow in this knowledge and wisdom so that we may continue and not give up. That we may not ignore the race that we're in, but actually focus on Jesus and follow him faithfully through it. We pray this in Jesus' name.